weapons wielded by our enemy to keep us in the dark spiritually and comfortable with our sin. In the kingdom of God, independence and self-reliance come into conflict with relying on God and being a part of the community. As we live in that western pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps independence, we grow accustomed to making it on our own. As we live our lives each day, it is easy to become so preoccupied with the major sins of our society that we lose sight of our need to deal with our own more subtle sins. Our western way of life is a great gift, but unless kept in check, it can become a weapon in the hand of the enemy against our spiritual life. A weapon that can lead us down a road of acceptability or respectability of our sins. May we remember that sin grieves the heart of God and lean on Him instead of ourselves as we journey through life. Being aware of our sin, repenting of it, and living for Jesus and not ourselves as we live life in the West. Wow, so we're starting this series called The Seven Respectable Sins of the West. And first off, um, I know we've been announcing this is coming, and, and I want to thank you for showing up. You know, often when there's the word sin in a sermon series title, people are like, you know what, nope, not going to do that. I'm going to stay home. Uh, I want to thank you for rising up to the challenge, because it's going to be challenging. Our toes are going to get stepped on. The Bible studies really, honestly, will be no exception to that either. They're going to be equally as challenging. Now, this series title comes from two different places. Uh, does the seven deadly sins sound familiar to you? Um, it, it, that was a list that was put together by Pope Gregory I. Um, in the 6th century, and then it was elaborated on in the 13th century by St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, the seven deadly sins can be thought of as dispositions towards sin and separation from God. They aren't deadly in a sense that they'll kill us, but they're deadly in a sense that they will absolutely destroy our intimacy with God. They'll, they get in the way of our relationship with him and, uh, and growing deeper with Jesus. We're, we're talking about we were talking about this, uh, this series idea. Uh, my daughter's church down in Waco did a series called The Seven Deadly Sins of Suburbia. Well, we're not suburban here, so um, that's where the idea came from. And then, and then we're, uh, we're in staff meeting, and uh, one person said, you know, somebody a couple weeks ago at Bible study mentioned this book called Respectable Sins. Maybe that could be a resource. So I, I looked it up ordered it, actually ordered three, a Bible study guide, uh, another book, and then the main book. And, and when that came, I'm like, we're, we're talking about it thinking, well, maybe we should, or maybe we could, you know, kind of push small groups here at the end of this school year. And maybe we could get, get some people uh, studying this on a weekly basis too. Uh, well, we ended up ordering 55 books and we have 75 people registered for small groups. So we have a lot of people that are, I don't know, maybe you were just thirsting to gather and meet together. Maybe it's been a while. And I know we have a lot of new people that are jumping into small groups as well. And, and seriously, I, it's going to be a great, great series, albeit extremely challenging and sometimes hard to hear. Um, and, and I can tell you that because I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's preparing for it and uh, it's, it's, it's challenging stuff. You see, the idea of sin being respectable is the idea that, that oftentimes we don't think of it seriously. We don't recognize that no matter the size of the sin, sin period grieves the heart of God. But, but in our culture, uh, we can tend to just kind of grow accustomed to them. Um, maybe it's a bad habit, maybe, a, but regardless, it's disobedient to what God would want us to, but we just go with the flow of, of our culture and, and we don't even necessarily notice. And as far as the West is concerned, I, I believe that our Western independent, you can't tell me what to do, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, feeds into, into this, just like the bumper video said. It adds weapons to the enemy's quiver against us, to, to influence us, uh, to impact our relationship with Jesus. I mean, the truth is it doesn't matter what the sin is, it grieves the heart of God. And we can often forget that. Today, I want to talk about busyness. 
I mean, we're busy people, right? Um, I was hoping that the slowdown during COVID uh, might affect us and, and help us to establish some new habits in our lives so that after that, when things kind of got back to normal again, it would be a new normal in the sense that, that we had our lives ordered a little bit differently. But I'm finding that I don't think that's the case. I think we're in such a rush to get back to normal that, that we're just running right back to where we were before and, and how busy our schedules are. You know, it doesn't seem like it matters what age we are. You know, our kids go from activity to activity to school to event to activity to activity, right? Parents, you're chasing them around and, and you're then also trying to fit in those extra things, those adult things that, that you want to do and you want to participate. We schedule ourselves 24-7. Uh, a busy mom one day said this, based on the amount of laundry I do each week, I'm beginning to think there are people who live here that I haven't met yet. I mean, <laughs> do, you, do you ever feel like there just isn't enough time to accomplish everything you want to or everything that you need to accomplish? Um, but the clock just keeps ticking and we keep going from one thing to the next like robots, just moving from one task to the other, checking things off the list. Uh, I'm a list checker. I love to, I mean, I make lists. I will write something down that I already did that day just so I can check it off. Um, I'm not joking about that either. Um, you know, we fall into bed exhausted and then we get up the next day and before we even start, we're already exhausted and exhaustion is added to exhaustion. Our culture promotes bigger and better and, and subtly challenges us to keep up with the Joneses, right? And Satan loves to keep us running because it distracts us. It distracts us from the important things. If he can distract us, he then minimizes our usefulness to the kingdom of God. I mean, Satan may be the prince of darkness, but I think he is also the duke of distraction. That's a big arrow in his quiver. And I heard something else this week that really rang true. It was this, busyness is the enemy of encouragement. Think about that. Busyness is the enemy of encouragement. I mean... I think we could put busyness is the enemy of blank, and we could think of a lot of things that could fit in that blank, couldn't we? Uh, busyness is the enemy of a lot of things. Happiness, it steals joy from us because we're so busy doing other things. It, uh, busyness is the enemy of relationships. It takes time away from, from the important relationships that we should be investing in. Busyness is the enemy of freedom because we're a slave to our to-do list. There's no freedom there. Uh, busyness is the enemy of Sabbath. It's the enemy of rest. It's the enemy of relaxation. I mean, I can't relax if I'm too busy, right? I, you got all of those things running through your head that you need to get done that day or that week. Busyness is an enemy of prayer. Have you ever said when I go to pray to talk to God, all the things that I have to do get in the way. I'm distracted. I can't focus because there's all of that stuff. Uh, I mean, we could go on and on. Busyness is the enemy of. It's a weapon that the enemy wields in our lives. And that's what I want to talk about today is busyness. And we're going to be in the chapter, we're going to be in chapter 10 of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, if you would turn there. We're going to look at Jesus' encounter, and you may already know, um, at Martha's house. And as we do, we're going to see four things today that busyness is the enemy of. And I've already given you one of those. Busyness is the enemy of encouragement. I mean, we're, we're commanded to encourage one another. We, we are commanded to love one another, and our busyness makes us grouchy and tired and a whole host of other things, and encouragement just goes out the window. And before we go look at the text, I want to give us a little bit of background. If you look at chapter 10 as a whole in the book of Luke, you'll see that Jesus, that, that Luke records, first of all, Jesus sending out the 72 disciples. And, and then Jesus teaches at the beginning of this account on the most important commandments, loving God and loving people. And, and then he writes this illustration in there. It's a parable. 
In fact, if, if you've never been to church before, you maybe even have heard this parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is really a story about mercy and margin. The priest goes by, the Levite goes by, there's this man, he's injured on the side of the road, and, and part of that, maybe they're just merciless. Why are they merciless? Part of the reason, maybe they're just busy. Look, they got other things to do. They're headed to synagogue or they're headed wherever and, and, and they just don't have time. But then this Samaritan man comes by and, and it's like he clears his whole schedule out. He takes the time. First of all, he's focused. He sees a need. He stops and he takes care of the man. He sacrifices to help this man. I don't think it's an accident that Luke put these accounts all together here in chapter 10 because then that leads us to where we are today and that's the story of Martha and Mary. Let's start reading in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but, the, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. All right, let's, let's make a few uh, observations here before we continue. First of all, when Jesus was on this earth, he had disciples, he had apostles, that, um, I'm sure he had elders, but he also had friends. You know, Jesus had friends. He had people that, that he hung out with. And, and you see Martha and Mary and Lazarus, they're Jesus' friends. And when Jesus' friend Lazarus was dead, he wept. Um, they, they, they ministered to Jesus. They invested in him and he invested in them as they lived their lives together. My second observation is that these women ministered to Jesus. Uh, if we read through the, the entirety of the of the New Testament, we see that those who are mentioned specifically that ministered to Jesus were women and angels. It, it happens, it's a reoccurring theme throughout the New Testament. And if we don't understand that word ministry correctly, uh, it, it can be misunderstood. You see, in, in the church, in, in our Christian circles, we have made that word ministry something that it's not. We have made that word ministry into some sort of formal word. You know, you would say that Pastor Dave is our minister, depending on what tradition you come from. You would say that you have, have surrendered your life to the ministry, right? It, we, we give that word ministry a, a, formal, a formal name, and I don't think it was meant to be that at all, because you see, it's as if we're not all supposed to be ministers, or, or it's as if we're not all even qualified to be ministers. Well, a few weeks ago in our Discover 301 class, we talked about that word ministry. The, the Greek word for ministry is the word diakonos. What word do we get from that word in the English language? Diakonos. It's deacon. And, and up to, a, a, I don't know, it's been a long time, um, but, but here at North Hills, one of the, the, the main um, ministry boards, ministry teams that we had was the deacon board. But if you do a study, and this is what happened here, if you do a study of that word in scripture, um, uh, the deacon, our deacon board was really operating as an elder board. Those who had been given charge of leading the church spiritually. And deacon actually, um, if, if you remember, the, a bunch of people came to, to Paul and said, I think it was Paul, maybe it was Peter, and said, hey, our, our widows, are, are, they're not getting fed. You guys, you guys need to feed the widows. And, and they were like, no, we, we have to continue to give our time to the spiritual needs. And so they identified deacons to serve the widows and the orphans. That's exactly what the word diakonos means. Minister, minister means to serve. And we're all 
to serve one another. God gives each of us gifts, we talked about in 301. And, and that gift's purpose is not for me. It's not for me to feel better about myself or to have more confidence in life. That gift, that spiritual gift, is for me to minister, to serve other people. It's to be the benefit of the body of Christ. So a minister is simply someone who renders aid to those in need. That's it. And so here we have Jesus in this moment preparing Mary to be a minister. And hang with me. I think that word uh, selection that Luke uses right there, the text says that Mary is sitting at his feet. Okay? Let's talk about that just for a second. In the first century, if you were talking about your educational credentials, you wouldn't lead with the name of the school that you attended. You wouldn't say, well, like me, I, I got my bachelor's degree at the University of Wyoming, and then I got my Master of Divinity degree at Bethel Seminary. Um, you wouldn't say that. That's not how you would talk about it. You would point to a person. Like Paul in Acts chapter 22, he says, I was trained under Gamaliel. So you wouldn't say to someone, uh, hey, I trained at Denver Seminary. You would say, I trained under Dr. Craig Blomberg. He's the one that discipled me. And at very early age, Jewish boys would be taught at the synagogue. They would memorize entire books of the Torah. I mean, it was unreal to me. How they, uh, how they, what they learned. They, they learned the traditions. And when they were old enough, they would be, they, they would wait to be chosen by a rabbi. They would wait to be chosen by a rabbi. And when they were old enough and they were found to be a suitable student, they would be given the honorable position of sitting at the rabbi's feet and learning from him. So in the text, when it says, and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and he taught her, I think it's bigger than her just hanging out, listening to Jesus. I think there's, I think that increases the comparison between Martha and Mary in, in this text. It isn't simply that Martha was doing busy work and Mary was doing nothing but just hanging out and relaxing with Jesus. Now, Martha is doing busy work, and Mary, but, but Mary is learning from Jesus. She is learning. She is being taught. She is sitting at his feet. So the, the thing that it's trying to give us right out of the gate in this passage is that we need to prioritize learning from Jesus. That needs to be a priority in our life. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Jesus comes to town. He's with his friends. Martha's there. Now, we're not told this, but, but I always make the assumption that Martha's the oldest. I mean, I, I always make the assumption that she's the most responsible. She's, she's the perfectionist. Um, look, she's an initiator. She has it all together. She's a homeowner. It's her house. And they're at Martha's house, and, and she's being the best host that she's, she knows how to be. And then there's Mary. I mean, where does Mary even live? Does she, does she live with her sister? Does she just come out and hang out? Does she, she come over and get free food during the day? I mean, I, I don't know, but, but I always sort of picture Mary as the, the least responsible one. You know, kind of like me when I was younger. I was the youngest by a long ways, and, and I mean a long ways. And, and, and maybe Mary is, I don't know, flippant or a little flighty. I, I don't know. We're, we never really know. Uh, we're not told any of these things specifically. But, but Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha's doing all this work. And if you're a Martha, if you're, if you're the responsible one, and you have Marys in your life, aren't they just annoying to you? Right? Because it's like they don't have a care in the world. What, what, what is going on? Can you carry your weight around here or what? I mean, there's a lot of older siblings that I think think that about their younger siblings. And Martha comes to Jesus and she says, tell her to help me. Tell her. And what does Jesus say? Uh-uh, not telling her because you see what she's doing is the better thing. Yeah, 
Could you imagine being Martha in that moment? What are you talking about, Jesus? There are all this stuff that needs to be done. No, she's actually doing the better thing than what you're doing. There's weight to that, isn't there? I mean, that's, that's a heavy thing. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Luke uses the word distracted. Because number two, busyness is the enemy of focus. Busyness is the enemy of focus. Jesus is going to call Martha to one thing at the end of these verses. He's making the point that many things steal from the one thing. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, verse 41. You are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. Martha, you're distracted. Busyness has robbed you of your focus. Many times in my family life, my wife had to tell me that I needed to focus more on our family. See, because there was lots of times where, I mean, I was present, but I wasn't really there. Have you ever experienced that? You know, your body is in the room, your body is with the family, but your mind, it's on emails, text messages, um, back in the day, uh, you know, the answering machine is beeping. For you kids, that's a box that used to sit next to. <laughs> My first one had a little cassette tape in it. You see, there were way too many times that I was there, but not there, because I was busy. And when I'm busy, I'm distracted, and I'm unable to focus. One pastor described it this way. He would, be, he would be at home, and the phone would ring, and the church office would call. Hey, we have a situation. We need you. And he would get in his car. He'd drive to the office. He'd drive to the church. And on his way, he would pray this prayer. He would say, Lord, I'm doing your work. I'm doing what you've called me to, so I just need your Holy Spirit to sort things out at home. Make sure my wife feels loved, God, your supernatural power. Make sure she feels loved and cherished and cared for. And make sure those kids get discipled and trained up in the way of you. Because you know me, I've got to go to the church, your church, Lord. I got to go with your people and deal with this situation and care for them. And he, he said it occurred to him one day that he was praying backwards. He was praying backwards. He said, you know what I needed to do? When, when the church called and said there's a situation, what he needed to do was say, hey, church, I'm going to stay right here. We've got people. We've, we have leaders who are there with you right now, and I'm going to pray that, that for you, as you take care of this situation, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would do everything he needs to do to help you get things done. You see, I am, not, I am expendable. I'm not saying there aren't important things and, and, and phone calls that I need to just leave and answer. I'm not saying that at all, because there are. And, and my family understands that. But if me... If that becomes the rule, and it's an everyday, all day, all the time thing, no matter what the beep is on my phone, that's a problem. And I know that's, I'm, I'm at obviously talking from a pastor's perspective, but, but you can replace your situation with that too. What are those things in your life that are just distracting well, here's the question that our executive minister, Paul Mitten, told me one time when we were talking about how busy it can be being a pastor. He said, David, you need to answer this question. What are the things that only you can do? What are the things that only you can do? What are the things that only you can do? And right off the top, our very first priority is to sit at the feet of Jesus. 
that has to be number one in your life and in mine. And guess what? You're the one that's in charge of that. You are the one that's in charge of growing in your relationship with Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people who said, I just don't feel like I'm growing. I mean, I'm in this Bible study and and I'm going to this church and I just don't feel like I'm being fed. Well, you know what? I think me being fed is up to me. I have never heard a sermon that I couldn't learn something from. I don't care how many times the pastor fanned at that ball as it was coming by at 90 miles an hour. There's always something the Holy Spirit can teach us. It's up to us. Nobody else is in charge of you eating. You are in charge of your own spiritual growth and discerning those things which God wants you to invest in as the most important priority things in your life. It's often how we listen. We must sit at the feet of Jesus as a top priority. Let me add to this priority list a few things. Look, dads, no one else is going to be able to be the father of your children. That's you. That's you. No one else is going to be able to be your wife's husband right now. That's you. Are are the decisions that you're making proving out that that's a priority in your life? Moms, no one else is going to be able to be your children's mother or your husband's wife. Students, God placed you in that classroom. No one else is going to be placed in that position that you are sitting behind. That student who is far from God, you know it. You have been placed there and given an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. Answer this question, what are the things that only you can do? What are the things that only you can do? Make sure you know the answer to that. Bring focus to that. Verse 40, Martha came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You see, when we get into this busy life, we can tend to lean into the victim mentality. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm a victim of my schedule. I'm a victim of this, and I'm a victim of that. Martha is taking on victim status here. I mean, Mary's obviously against her because she's not helping her. Even Jesus isn't helping. Come on. You guys are just hanging out in the other room. She's blaming everyone else for her problems because busyness breeds a victim mentality. Don't they see all that I have to do? Don't they know that I'm busy? And it's a zero-sum game because you have a list to do and everyone's either for you as you're accomplishing that list or against you. If they can help you do your list, great. If they can't, don't come talk to me because you're wasting my time. Next... And and then you begin to see people through the lens of, if you're not helping me get this done, then you're not for me. Tell her to help me, Martha said. Are you not on my side here? I'm not interested in what you have going on because I see my tasks as more important than you. Busyness is the enemy of focus. Number three, busyness is also the enemy of empathy. I can't slow down to focus on whatever you need because I have my own needs. Busyness is the enemy of empathy. Empathy takes time. And when we're busy, there's no time because we're running out of time. It takes time. And that's why Luke puts this in the same context context as as the Good Samaritan. The priest didn't have time. The Levites got stuff to do, places to be. I mean, he had lots of excuses why it wasn't his responsibility to help this man parked on the side of the road. The Samaritan is so focused in his everyday life looking 
for people that had needs. And he saw this man and he cleared his schedule and he stopped and he helped him. He served him. He had mercy on him. Don't, don't you care? Do you, do you ever feel like that when, when you're really busy? Do you ever think when somebody else is maybe trying to get a little time with you, you're like, look, I'm just slammed here. I, I don't have time for this. And, and, or, or you're going to somebody and they're busy and they're like, I don't have time for you. I got too many things that I'm doing. Doesn't anybody care how busy I am? And here's the answer to that question. No. They don't care how busy you are because they're busy too. They're busy too. Everybody has stuff they're doing. So when you ask, don't you care how busy I am? The answer is no. Now, I think what some of us need to hear this morning is this word. Stop. Stop. We, we need to slow down and stop and do what only we can do. But, but you're thinking, but, but some of those things on my list might not get done. Yeah, they might not. They might not get done. Busyness is the enemy of empathy. In America, we have believed a lie. We have equated I'm busy with something that it is definitely not equal to. What do you think that is? When we think I'm busy means I'm important. Think about that. How often when somebody asks you how you're doing, do you respond, I'm really busy? Whew. Ouch. I mean, I, I've, on occasion, I've said, man, I'd really like to answer, man, I'm, I'm really good. I took 30 minutes this morning to sit out on the deck and drink a cup of coffee and listen to the birds chirp, but, but I don't say that, um, number one, because it's hard for me to do that. But that's a good thing to do, or in the afternoon when you get home from work, or, or maybe you just take off work early in the afternoon, and you're like, you know what, I need to go, I need to go spend some time. I need to just stop. I, I, can't, I can't focus, I can't think. I've, it's been a week since I've prayed. I need to take some time. But we're afraid to say that because we think, well, they're going to, if they drive by, if they drive by my house and I'm sitting out on the deck drinking iced tea, they're going to think I'm lazy and I'm not really working. Maybe what we could do is lead by example and show them that this is a healthy thing to do. Some of us really just need to stop. You see, I'm busy does not equal I'm important. Um, I'm busy might, what it might mean is I really don't know how to manage my time. Could mean that. I mean, I'm 55 years old, and I've not mastered the word no yet. I'm so busy. I'm a slave to what others think of me, and I don't want to disappoint anyone. No, I, I am busy does not mean I am important, and all of us need to answer this question the right way. Who is in charge of your schedule? Who is? Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, my boss is. Yeah, 40 hours a week or more, depending on your boss. Look, if, if you're working somewhere and, and you don't have time for the, uh, you, 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 I'm not even going to say that because you can make time. You can make time. We can all make time for things that are important and, and better for us. Being in charge of our schedule takes practice. We determine what goes on, and we determine what doesn't. And, and we have to actively do that, right? Because there's, there's no one else to blame but ourselves. If, if you're busy, busyness is the enemy of encouragement. Busyness is the enemy of focus. Busyness is the enemy of empathy. And number four, busyness is the enemy of peace and joy. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Martha, your busyness has stolen your peace and joy. 
Busyness is the enemy of peace and joy, isn't it? What, what if it all doesn't get done? What if, just for a moment this morning, live in that reality? Let's live in that reality. What if I don't finish the assignment? Whatever it might be. What if the house doesn't get clean? What if I pick up the kids 15 minutes late from practice? I mean, is somebody sitting across from the school and they see your kids sitting out there on the step at school or visiting with the teacher for 15 or 20 minutes, extra minutes after school and they, they dial up DFS? Hey, guess what? Somebody left their kid out talking to a teacher for 15 minutes. How dare they? I mean, we have to answer that question. Paul in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The greatest thing that you can do with that question, what if it doesn't get done, is to actually answer that question. Because if you answer that question, it will take the majority of the sharp teeth out of that question. What happens if you, you just don't get to mowing the lawn today? Well, it's going to be a little taller tomorrow or the next day or the next day. I mean, wait a couple weeks, the town might send you a letter, I don't know, but... Does that have to be done right now in this moment? Probably not. You see, there's an endless list of things to do. Life is busy. So, so if you're at the place where being busy frustrates you, you're really setting yourself up for a life of frustration because guess what? It's not going to, in and of itself, slow down without you making some decisions. I've heard people who are retired, they say things like, man, I thought I was busy before I retired. I can't believe how busy I am now. But as I thought about that statement this week, I thought, I wonder, are they really more busy now than they were a year ago, or is it their, in their mind, their expectations have changed? They're still living the same way they were before, but they expect to be less busy, but they have established this habit of life over the last 45 years that they can't just overnight step out of. This takes time, it takes cultivation, but, but we gotta start somewhere. The world, of course, has countless solutions to these problems, right? Barn, the biggest help, the biggest section, the biggest book section at Barnes and Nobles is the self-help section, and, and there are many books out there, and, and I've even said this from, from the stage here before, most books will tell you what you need, what, if you're busy, what you need in your life is margin. You need margin. Now, margin is a good thing. I'm not saying margin is bad. Margin is that space that you leave in your schedule for when other things come up. If you have a Saturday and you don't have anything scheduled on that Saturday, but some, some problem pops up the day before and, and you have the next day to work on that, you're like, oh man, I'm glad I had that Saturday, right? But if we think margin throughout our life and we schedule some margin in, what we will typically do is fill that. Something comes up instead of saying, no, well, I got this margin in my life. So yes, 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 and before long, the margin is gone. I want to give us a different word this morning. I think this is a biblical word that is our weapon in defense of busyness. It's, it's a word that will help us keep the sin of busyness out of our lives, and this is that word. It's priority. It's priority. Now, I can preach about this and talk about this all day long, but when you leave here, you need to understand it's your responsibility. 
to determine what those priorities are that God has given you in your life and to live by those priorities. You have to figure out right now what your non-negotiables are. Because we trade things every day. We trade things for time. We trade things for time. What are you willing to trade? And, and it's really counterintuitive because there's this unseen world and there's, there's God and he created this unseen world. And so sometimes when we put these big rocks in first, everything else really does fall into place because God wants us to order them in that way. Now, you might think that that's ideal, idealistic, but I'm telling you, people do this in their life and they succeed at it. This isn't just pie in the sky. There is, every person on the planet doesn't live their life as busy as you do. Martin Luther, responsible for the Protestant Reformation, said this, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. That's not just a statement of faith. That is a statement of priority. Not in my life have I ever said that. But maybe I should have. He's saying, I can't get to all that I have to do today until I get to this. Prayer is priority. This is what Jesus says to Martha, verse 42, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Don't let the many things distract you from the better things. Don't let the many things be the enemy of the better things. Now, everyone has a different capacity for things in their schedule. Everybody can carry different loads of weight, but everyone has the same amount of time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm telling you that anything that you put as a priority over your relationship with Jesus Christ is a bad trade. We have to hear this this morning. You, you, you have to, you, you want your kids to experience everything that they can. I mean, that's, that's how parents think about their life and their, the life of their family. They want their kids to experience everything that they possibly can. So we let our kids say yes to lots of things. And we run them to here and we run them to there. And it's like, well, can we fit that in? Well, this is over at this time and this is over at this time. Or do we even do that? Do we just say yes and then we figure out how to sort it all out as we go through that process? So you cut corners on discipling them in the ways of Jesus. If you do that, you've made an awful trade. You, maybe you want your children to play sports at a high level. You want them to be really, really good. You, they're going to be one in a thousand good. And they're going to have an amazing career. They're going to go to a, a college and, and they're going to make seven figures one day. And, and then we're all going to gather around the TV to, to watch them in the big game. And you know, you got there even though the tournaments fell on Sundays. Well, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just for a time. Jesus is most important, but we've got to do this. We've got to pour into these kids. They need to get better at this. There's traveling team and, and there's camps and there's private coaches and we pour into them and we pour into them and we need to think about this. You see, that's a bad trade. That's a bad trade. A hundred years from now, you're going to see what a terrible trade you made. You, you see, you can say Jesus is most important, but I think people learn the most about what's important in our life by the things that we say no to. You say Jesus is most important, but you say no to church or getting your kids to youth group. I'm, I'm confused by that because you're saying one thing and you're doing another. Now, I, 
Listen, I, all, all my children are out of the house, but we wrestled with this a lot. And there's hard decisions to be made. And sometimes your kids don't like those decisions. But, but look, what, what are we teaching our children? What are we teaching our children? What are we trading for? Eric Little, anybody familiar with that name? Eric Little, Dick, Dick's familiar with that name? Eric Little. Look, Eric Little made it to the big stage. He, he's in the pinnacle competition of athletes of his day and age. He was at the Olympics. Um, for those of you who don't know his name, but you, you maybe watched the movie when it came out, if you're under 30, you probably don't know this movie, but there was a movie made about him. He was the fastest person in the entire world. Chariots of Fire was the movie. And then what happened? His race landed on a Sunday. And he said, I'm not running it. I'm at the Olympics. Sunday is my Sabbath. I'm not going to do it. I've made this decision in my life. And I'm sticking with it. The only reason that you have heard his name is because of what he said no to. If he hadn't said no and he'd run the race, no movie would have been made about him because it wouldn't have been any big deal. Yeah, he was the fastest guy. There's lots of fastest guys in the world. The movie was made because he said no. I'm not going to do it. You can tell what's most important to people. You can tell people what's most important all day long, but they're going to learn what's most important to you by what you say no to. So here's the question. As we sit here this morning, what good can you say no to in order to prioritize the better? Because you see those things, sports, traveling team, all those things, they're not bad things. Those things aren't sinful things. They're good things, but what, can, what good can you say no to in order to prioritize the better? Busyness, I think, has become a respectable sin. It's the enemy of many of the commandments of God, but we just, we rationalize it and we live in it. It's so natural for us and it's just a part of, it's been a part of our life for such a long time. Our parents raised us in it. But you see, busyness is the enemy of encouragement and it's the enemy of focus. It will distract us and busyness is the enemy of empathy it, it gives us a, men, a, a victim mentality it it steals our peace and our joy and and then we're worried and upset about many things now i want to i want to leave us with a picture this morning <clears throat> this uh this came from a book called the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it was written by Stephen Covey many years ago, and we don't really have them anymore, but we used to have these day planners that, that they came from his group, and he, he taught people how to prioritize, how to make life goals, and how to, to, to keep to those. And you see, um, this, this one-gallon jar right here represents a 24-hour period of time. 24-hour period of time. This sand in this jar represents all of those little things that, that we get distracted by in the course of a day. Uh, the ding on your phone. Uh, some of you have heard one of mine, actually, during church. There's the, there's the breaking news ESPN ding, and there's the breaking news whatever ding, and, and there's the text message ding, and there's the email ding, and there's the, there's the ding-a-ling-a-ling, I don't know. And then, and then these, these little pebbles here, these stones represent the things... Um, the, the good things in our life, the things like our job and um, assignments at school and, and I don't know, maybe you could throw in mowing the lawn, um, stuff that, you know, it, it, 
it needs to be done, but it doesn't necessarily have to be done today. Okay, and then, and then what do these represent? These are the big rocks. These are the non-negotiables. These are the important things that, that we have in our life. And, and here's, here's how we usually live our life. You see, it's the tyranny of the urgent, right? We, we, put, we, 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 we just live our life and all of this stuff, the dings and all of that, it, though it's distracting, we, we do it. And, and what happens is then there's no more room in our life for the important things, Right? I just don't have time to pray. I just don't have time to do that. I, 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 don't have, I haven't had time to read my Bible this week. I mean, I, I think we've all said that. I've said that. Now, here, here at North Hills, uh, it's usually in your worship folder, there's, there's a couple things that we really encourage people to do. Love God and love people. That's our mission. We, we, we want to love people and we want to love God. So, so um, actually love God and love people. It's the greatest commandment, right? Jesus said that as he's talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. So loving God, right? That's sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus is is the number one priority. It's a rock that, that it has to be a non-negotiable. I can't get to, to the end of my week and say, well, I just didn't have time for that. Why didn't I have time for that? Because I didn't prioritize it. Reading, reading the word of God, spending time in, in a Bible study, because we know that's what will encourage us and, and will help us to, to grow in our faith. Loving God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And figuring out what that looks like on a daily basis as I live through my life. It's up to you. Only you can feed you. My relationship with my family, with my wife, with my children, has to be a big rock. It has to be. God tells us it's a big rock, right? Love God, love people having empathy for others. We have to be sure that the big things, that the most important things, that the better things are a priority, are in our life first. And then, and then come those things during the week like paying the utility bill and making it to work and those things then go in there. And then, and then, Here's the crazy thing about it, right? When we have our priorities right, when these other things start happening in our life, somehow, miraculously, there's room. Now, I'm not saying that if, if we prioritize our, our life right, that we can just say yes to everything. That's not the point of the illustration. The point of the illustration is if we get the big things right, the Holy Spirit, God, is going to give us the capacity. He's going to give us the joy and the peace. He's going to give us the confidence to know that, that he has forgiven me. I, look, I, my priorities haven't been, been right. So it's like... Let's dump it out. Let's, let's do whatever we need to. And this morning, I'm going to challenge us to take a few moments of time as the worship team go ahead and come up here. And as they play through this first song, I want you to just, I just want you to sit and, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about the priorities that you have set in your life. Do, that, do I have them Right? Or are there some rocks that I have left on top of the sand and I need to, maybe I need to zero out all those notifications and I need to be willing to shut my phone off on my day off. Because I'm telling you, if, if I've gotten better at, at not doing that, but if my phone dings and I, and I look at that message on a Monday, I know it's probably something that could be answered tomorrow, but then my mind starts spinning it. 
is, is this a problem? Does this person need this answered right now? Does this, and, 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 and before long, my day is not relaxing at all until, I mean, until that person replies back to the reply that I sent them, which I shouldn't have because, look, I'm supposed to be disconnecting this day. Go ahead, Bob. As the worship team sings this, let's, uh, let's ask God to help us recognize those things in our life that only we can do. Oh, God. 
Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our rescuer. Thank you for saving us for the act in history that we celebrated last week as you came and served us. Thank you for the salvation which we receive when you call our name and we Surrender to you and 